Hello! Welcome back to Michael and Ben. <laughs> it's my new intro that I do. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. Scared five-year-old boy who talks to a stranger. <laughs> Welcome back to Michael and Ben's podcast. I am the man in Irish podcasting who has legs who are strong like his mother's so he can run for cover if he needs to. I am Michael. And I am joined by the Irish podcast co-host who has, luckily breasts which are small and humble so they aren't confused with mountains it's benjamin very good yeah we were listening to shakira earlier you're gonna have to uh you're gonna have to accept our apology today because there are some small children playing outside yeah they're bloody having fun enjoying the sunshine the little well i won't say that deeply inconsiderate deeply inconsiderate we did come out to them um offer them tea and biscuits to go inside and perhaps watch peppa pig or something like that, they then proceeded to tell us to go away. Yeah. Um, or they'd call their mums and dads. So we left. Ben, you have said they did. We did come out to them as though we went out and revealed to them that we were homosexuals. We were coming out. We wanted the world to know. <laughs> this is not true. Dun, 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 Benjamin. Dun, dun. Sorry, yeah, uh, Speaking of... Um, representation and podcasting. Yeah. Do you want me to do the theme music? <gasps> theme music for the podcast. Don't actually have anything music But I hope someone will mix them up for us I don't wanna name any names Rachel, I hope it's Rachel You picked the worst possible moment. I had to gulp my water. Yeah, you were, that was pretty poor timing. I will admit that. Um, I'm going to turn your mic down a little bit because you're sure. really you're really hitting them reds. Sorry, didn't mean to. You're really hitting them reds, Ben. Is that you? Talk a bit there. Well, baby, lock them door and turn them reds real low. Because, um, you see, that won't be interesting for the listeners because they will not hear that I've fixed it. Yeah, I suppose because you fixed it so soon. It's a bloody... Glimpse behind the magic. It's a triumph for us, but for nobody else. Ben, speaking of a glimpse behind the magic, um, the Oscars are on now. Hostless. Are they still hostless? Hostless. They're Aren't doing they no. They're doing a hostless Oscars apparently. Oh, apparently. How's that going to work? Don't know. Is it just going to be silence? Yeah, I think it's just going to be just category after category. Well, there was more controversy, Michael, because they tried to remove four of the key categories of the Oscars and do them. Off airtime during Best commercials. Actor. No, 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 nothing that would have taken away from the individual. But they were going to give away best cinematography during a commercial. Best break. editing. Oh, the irony <laughs> during during a commercial break and a large amount of very popular film directors. For example, Martin Scorsese, yeah. the Coen Brothers, etc. Jimmy C. Um, yes, wrote an open letter to the Oscars and said, this is the greatest disgrace ever. This is used to recognise the people in our industry who are not at the forefront of publicity. And then you're going to try and cut them out? You and you're going to try and cut them out. And then some Oscars press guy came in and he's like, well, we'll, we'll alternate the categories. So, so this, this year it'll be those categories, but next year it'll be four different categories. Best actor. Uh, yeah, it'll never be that though, is it? Because no. people know them, and that'll get you revenue. Mm. That's very interesting, man. I didn't so this know is that. the thing; it's a revenue-based decision, Michael Benjamin. Um, speaking as we are, mind you, about popular culture, mm. um, are you excited about Black Panther winning Best Picture? No, because it shouldn't. Oh, well, look! No, 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 no! Whoa, whoa! whoa. Don't whoa. you, don't you whoa, whoa. me? Whoa. Don't you Scooby Doo me? Whoa! Um, no, it shouldn't. It shouldn't win it. It was not. The world's greatest film. I think the I think the 
one aspect of Black Panther that should definitively win um, an Oscar is costuming. Yes, and best costuming. Costuming costume design. Good. They designed an, an entire African nation's subset tribal wardrobe. Mm-hmm. One woman did that entire thing. She's incredibly impressive. Now she didn't des- she didn't make and manufacture all those costumes, but she designed an entire aesthetic. It was a team effort then. with Ryan Coogler mm-hmm. to to just birth an African nation. Uh, yeah, probably should win best costume. Should win best costume. Not best film though. Not best film though. It wasn't even the best superhero film. No, it was a good film though. Good film. But Ben, it's about it's about cultural significance more than well, film, it's a cultural it? milestone michael it's a cultural milestone did black Ro- representation in film did rocky win best picture which one the first one dun, 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 dun. yeah i think so it was the first <laughs> one that, that wasn't even it no i didn't even get that right um i don't know what that is but uh yeah um rocky won it i think once was that for italians in screenwriting yeah probably or people who started in soft porn yeah um benjamin Speaking of um, politics, <clears throat> which we probably shouldn't talk about, but let's do it anyway. Let's do it anyway. Benjamin, I noticed that you have left a scathing review on Rotten Tomatoes for Captain Marvel, despite not having seen it. I did not do that, Michael. You know that's the exact <laughs> axe that I have brought to grind today at the tiny room. Um, so, the, the, uh, for anyone who hasn't been keeping up with this, there's there's currently a little bit of controversy surrounding Miss Brie Larson and the upcoming Captain Marvel movie from Marvel Studios. Mm. Uh, that controversy is is predominantly white male based in that there seems to be some kind of backlash from uh, a very insecure demographic <laughs> comics gate demographic. uh comics gate demographic the same that always comes up here and again um of people boycotting the movie before it even comes out um now what, what i would say about that and the argument i have there is there doesn't actually seem to be that much of a backlash i haven't seen a backlash i spent this week looking at the rotten tomatoes website trying mm-hmm. to figure out where that backlash was coming from and what there is is a series of comments that said i'm not really interested in this movie but from every comic book news site that i visit i see the words misogynistic backlash and white men backlash many of the profile pictures on uh rotten tomatoes do not clearly identify the race of the people who are <laughs> commenting so i'd like to know where that kind of sensationalist journalism is coming from, first of all. Well, Ben, it's almost as if you have had a realization there to yourself that the media has an agenda. Yeah, I think I'm just sick of it, Michael. You're I sick of I, the media's agenda. I think I've just had enough. Um, I would also like to to, to semi-defend Brie Larson and also semi-condemn Brie Larson. Sem dem, if you will. Ooh, um, 37% want to see the movie on Rotten Tomatoes. But you see, like, this is interesting. That's... Again, this is the kind of person who feels that their opinion on the internet matters in some form Mm -hmm. and that this will somehow make a difference. These are the people who haven't even seen the movie yet Mm -hmm. that have gone forward and left a negative comment because they feel a personal umbrage towards this particular film. I find that fascinating. Not even film, though. Person. Yeah, they just don't like Brie Larson. It's Brie Larson that's generating all this hate. And I suppose we should probably clarify why Brie Larson is receiving a little bit of hate. Well, um, some of it's because she's had the temerity to be a woman. Yeah, but, how dare she? Yeah. But also, 
More men in female roles. That's what I want to see. Where's our representation in, in female-led films? Huh? More, we, I, I wanted to see Captain Marvel being played by a white Irish man in his 20s. Yeah. Because I feel white Irish men in their 20s are underrepresented in the female characters. We will actually be sticking up my audition tape for Captain Marvel well, on the good, Instagram. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the, she's not doing herself any favours, though, is she, Ben? Well, she's she's... Made a bit of a blunder, uh, Michael. Recently at an Associated Press event, um, when she was asked about how she feels... Well, first of all, what kicked all this off, I suppose, was that she would prefer more diversity in the people who cover her movie releases. Like us. Like us. Yeah. Now, given that the two of us are white men... Yes. She may have a point there. But, however, she... Yes said that if she had a choice between an underrepresented minority interviewing her mm-hmm. or a white man interviewing her, the uh-huh. white man was out of luck. Now, this is mis- misread in a couple of ways. First of all, the demographic that gets a bit butthurt about stuff like this was like, oh, she hates white men. That's not what that comment means. It was an insensitive comment. She could have worded it any number of ways. In many ways, she's like a female Liam Neeson. Yeah, she kind of just blundered into this comment. So she did that. She's a Liametta Neeson. Mm -hmm. And then later on at an Associated Press event, she said that she didn't care. And this is paraphrasing. I'm not 100% accurate here. Oh, so it's probably not true. No, no, no. She did say this. You can look it up. I'm just going to miss one or two words that she said. She said, I have it written down here. Go on. She didn't care about the opinion of a 40-something white man oh, no. giving out about her film that wasn't made for him. She was saying this in reference to A Wrinkle in Time. Um, yeah, that was a load of shite. Which was a load of shite. Um, and she was defending her right to say it. And recently she has said that it's not really up to her how people take her words. Um, and she's entitled to say them. I think the issue that I take with this more than anything is mm-hmm. the fact that Brie Larson as... And in the spotlight celebrity with a considerable amount of clout and quite a big loudspeaker true to fame mm-hmm. thinks that she's not responsible for the things that she says. Mm. That seems to me like a very convenient get out of jail free card um, for saying whatever the heck you want. It's interesting that um, the the I always kind of disbelieved the the shill media hypothesis, the whole there are some people who are just shilling for Marvel and Disney and that they are kinder to Marvel and Disney films than other films because they, they want to be associated with it. Because it's very positive. It's very and... po- whatever. I, I always... But it is odd that... I don't know if we talked about this last week, but a lot of the... A lot of your 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 shill media companies are writing articles about how it's going to be a massive opening and a big smash despite the fact that the opening has been consistently for the last few months dropped the predictions have mm-hmm. gone down well they've gone up now again this week okay. because of the controversy they've gone from 100 million predicted opening box office weekend to 120, to 120. but didn't it wasn't it 180 a few months it ago it was 180 a few months ago so there's been a significant uh, interesting that you should say on the subject of shilling um, the director of the upcoming Shazam movie came out Shazam and, and said I can't he wait he came out did he tell the kids outside <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, was that a fuck's sake with this <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, generally speaking, he came out and said, um, I can't wait 
for Captain Marvel to come out and make all the money so these people can shut up. Which I think is the stupidest thing that a filmmaker could say mm. about another person's film. I can't wait for somebody to come out and make lots of money to show people up. What you should say is, I can't wait for this movie to come out, be very good, and prove people wrong. I can't wait for this well-made film to come out, be successful on a cultural from a cultural perspective, and do very well. But no, he said, and make all the money mm. so that people will be quiet. It's all about the dollar, isn't it, ben? But that's not what representation's about, Michael. Well, at the end of the is day... Is representation it, just about money? At the end of the day, Ben, it is, because <gasps> these the, most critics of these type of films are white men in their 40s because they're based on comic books that were squarely aimed at white boys in their teens in the 90s. Yeah, but that's racist, Michael. <laughs> but the reason they're successful is those white boys in their teens have grown up into men with money. So what you're saying now, Michael, is that we should just stop making films out of things that happened in the past and start to make new comics and make films out of those in the present? No. You see, you wouldn't make movies that way, would you, Michael? Well, I, I was talking with my good lady friend about this the other day, about Jessica Jones. Jessica and Jones. And how season two was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, it was a bit of and a... the reason Jessica Jones season two was a bit of a disappointment, in my opinion, Ben, is because Jessica Jones isn't that well-developed a character. No. She hasn't had 40 years to gestate into having lots of interesting backstories that you can pull nuggets from she hasn't yeah she hasn't got landmark moments from the comics that get translated into film and cause an absolute rapture among fanboys yeah she has the purple man story and that's pretty much it for and they bloody got rid of him fair quick and then the next most interesting thing for that for jessica jones after that is marrying luke cage and having a daughter and that doesn't make for gripping that's not great that's, that's not, not a that's not what i want to see that's not a 21st century storyline it might be what brie larson thinks White American women in their early thirties. How old is Brie Larson? She's in her thirties. Is she? White American women in their early thirties want to see, and maybe then, like, you see, again, we're getting so sucked into American. You see, culture you here. can't. It is, and it's not really. I don't know if it's. I don't know if we're allowed to comment. Are we allowed to comment on American we're, culture? We're allowed to comment, but it just you know, Ben. I like to avoid getting too sucked into it because we're not Americans. We don't live in America. It seems to be a very fractured place. But their politics don't... Well, the, They're all identity so, politics. I know, but they're, they're, they're creeping into Irish life as well. But there's in no many need. Ways. But look, anyway, you should, if you want to see some real negativity, read a bloody a review of a pop culture piece of entertainment from, let's say, the Irish Times. Yeah, they don't like... Ma- this is a matter of their men, women in their 30s, in their 40s. It's going to be scathing. Yeah, big as, eye, I believe a leader was called big-eyed nonsense. Yeah, if it's not about... Oscar B. Yates and suffering digging the land for potatoes. Look, if there's no famine, food. there's no stars. Yeah, it's bizarre. But anyway, look. Us no, critics, no, there's critic schmittics. There's a 50-year-old white man who needs to be... <laughs> Donald Bloody Clark is not a fan of anything. Look, none of the, the Irish Times, they do not give... Uh, Good reviews for anything. No, they do. They give, if it's, yeah, if it's a real sad thing about like poor Irish people and their suffering, oh, God, it'll get five stars. Yeah. No a gritty what. real take on an urban landscape that we're all experiencing. Yeah, but sure, look, people have their likes, Ben, and their dislikes. Where are, what are we talking about? Let's, bloody, speaking of, Ben. Speaking of. Jessica Jones, it got cancelled. Yeah, it's pretty gone. Third season's not even out yet. Dunzo, Hunzo. Yeah. Um, look, Ben, this was inevitable. Um, yeah, sure, look, they're having a, this, there's an old cool. There's yeah. a snap. Netflix ah, snap. It's about time someone referenced it, the sons of bitches. Yeah, they don't have it in the, <laughs> the rest of it. Yeah. Look, the, the, we we predicted this months ago, Ben. We knew that once the merger and everything was going ahead, that uh, Netflix wouldn't want to be paying a lot of money to make Marvel things, and Marvel would be more than happy to take them back because 
Because they can do more with them now. Because they got that Disney money. They've got a degree of control. So Disney it, money. There's no real news there, is there, Ben? No, not really. No. no. Yeah. Ben, make a prediction for us. Do you think that we will see any of these shows popping up again? Yeah, but not in any of the cast or iterations we've seen today. You don't think so? No, I think we'll probably end up... Although there was a billboard bought in... Where was it? Times Square? By the fans of the Save Daredevil campaign. They paid a collective amount of money to put it up. And, and there's an L Save Daredevil billboard up in in Times Square. It won't Dopes. do anything. Dopes. Again, I think it's just given people that generally don't have much to believe in something to believe in. Aww. sad that it's a... Oh, Silly little Save Daredevil campaign, but this, you know, look, this is getting very sad. It makes them happy. Um, move us on to something. Give us an old classic Michael segue there, please. Look, Ben, we've, we've talked there about the decline of Marvel television, uh-huh. but we seem to be entering an almost a golden age of DC television. Yeah, it's bloody, bloody good. Stop Marvel. rubbing your legs, you weirdo. <laughs> Can we pick that up on the mic? Can you hear me? Know. Yeah, let's have a little quiet moment in here. Can we hear Ben's ASMR leg rubbing? Well, we'll never know. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll never know. The, the noise at cancelling will probably take that in. Yeah, um, we can cut that out. What are we too. talking about? No, we'll leave it in. Leave it in. Look. The golden age of DC television. Golden age of DC television. Ben, they've been going pretty strong on the CW for the last seven, eight years. Yeah, but it's not great stuff. Look, it's real television shit. Yeah, CW is made for people that are, have a Dawson's Creek-sized gap in their lives. Mm-hmm. or you know. And then Riverdale came along... And now we don't need superheroes in title other anymore. We have Riverdale to do that for us. It's R- Riverdale is really is really just teenage fetish stuff for lads who feel uncomfortable looking at teenage fetish stuff. <laughs> like I watched. Are you saying you feel comfortable I watched, looking at teenage fetish? I watch. Stuff? Yeah, perfectly comfortable. Perfectly comfortable, Michael. Since you're gonna lay that kind of trap, fine. I'll just walk in. Um, I watched an episode recently with my sister because my sister watches Riverdale. Yes, on, I think on, this is not the first time you've mentioned this on the on Netflix. And it's it's a very strange show. Um, I have but never seen one. I, I will say that it leans into its odd silliness. And um, it knows now that the, what people like about it is the bizarre twists and melodrama. And in season two and three of this, they've just turned it up to 11. Well, Ben, it is a comic book property. Just, we probably should it have is, been covering yeah, it. Sorry, Archie, Archie is a comic book property. Uh, Archie is a time-honored American tradition that outlasts a lot of superhero comics it looks like the breakout character is um, Cheryl Cheryl and Jughead mm. Jughead's very popular is he um, he's a Sprouse brother um, which means. means nothing to you but no. for anybody who grew up watching The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody no. the Sprouse twins were The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody um, and they were very beloved as a set of twins having shenanigans in a hotel speaking of the mic Ben you're speaking um, of the mic remember that you're uh, a, a pair of, a, a pair of <laughs> see I can't see the mic clearly it's just a vague silhouette so I keep missing um, but they were a pair of twins that had shenanigans in a hotel uh-huh. and they were very beloved by the wonderful wonderful world of Disney fans and then the Disney fans grew up and it's only bloody one of the Sprouse twins back on TV oh very good and he's, he's a real breakout hit but Ben but all this aside yes sorry DC's new streaming service seems to be the start of a renaissance or a renaissance if you prefer Depends. of quality TV production with lots of swearing. It's very good. We both enjoyed Titans somewhat, you more than I. You well, yeah, because you've seen all of it? I yes, I'm also Robin invested. Oh. I like I like a Robin storyline that's good. Mm. They're very few and far between, but they do exist. I also enjoy uh Beast Boy. And I enjoyed the Teen Titans cartoon, so I was all ready for, did, a, more than I. for a Titans. Did you ever see Teen Titans Go? Um, the movies? Yes, I watched it. Very good. Oh. Very good. Complete piss take. 
Yeah, but very good. They got their own little Doom Patrol Go section. Um, did, did I not tell you that? No. Doom Patrol Go was a little spin-off thing they did as a promo for what we're about to talk about. Oh, very good. They got their own little versions of... So, now you spoiled that, so let's talk about Doom Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We uh, we both enjoy Titans, and um, Doom, Doom Patrol seems to be even better. Um, I, I think say, yeah. from a writing point of view, it's much clearer on what it wants to achieve. Um, mm. Very humorous, very, very meta. Yeah. Um, very much in keeping with the comic book. Yeah. Um, it has yours and my friend, Mr. Alan Tudyk. Yes. As the main villain. Mm. And um, narrator. And narrator. And it's it's bloody good, Michael. Ben, it has been very good so far. I would liken it to a cross between the Umbrella Academy, which was also good and we both enjoyed. We did. But was quite slow in places. Very, I, I, it was interesting. We'll just take a quick segue here because I'd like to commend Mick okay. on his review of... Of the Umbrella Academy. I don't even remember what um, I said then. Mick mentioned that, the, tonally speaking, it seemed to be a little mishmash. Mm. Um, in that it borrowed elements from some things. Uh, for example, Wes Anderson. And then tried yeah. to mix them with elements of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Stephen King. Um, and the Stephen King will be my addition. Because I find that towards the end of the Umbrella Academy. And spoilers for a TV series. It's um, a bit of a It gets very carried towards mm. the end. Um, the world's tiniest lesbian, Ellen Page. <laughs> um, is just... Um, it's just carry by the end of the film. Yeah. Um, very gory, very over the top. All of a sudden, let's do a little spoiler here for the, both the comic, The Umbrella Academy, and the TV show, The Umbrella Academy. The it made sense if you're doing a slightly more real world TV show, because in the comic, Ben, you'll remember that she becomes the white violin because she's captured or enticed by a demonic conductor. Yes. Who is just in it for the evil. Yeah. Whereas in the TV show, The Umbrella Academy, The Umbrella Academy was like a combination of the Dark Phoenix story, Mm -hmm. The Incredibles. Yes. And The Umbrella Academy, the comic. Yes. And you, the television series about a serial killer from Netflix. I haven't watched that. Wouldn't bother. Apparently, I'm very like the main character who is a serial killer. Several people have told me this, and I take great, great offense to that. Because, like, oh, you have the same mannerisms, which mean I'm a serial killer. Yeah. Sorry. Ben, interestingly, when Ben has had a haircut, everybody, mm. and when you came into the place where we work with your new haircut, I said to you, I noticed you copied my hair, which was an Infinity War joke, and you didn't notice. I'm trying to look doing? at my own hair. Oh, you can't see it. <laughs> it's not possible. Um, what were we saying? <laughs> it's an Infinity War joke. Where yeah. have we gone? It's about my hair. Anyway, we're very rambly today. We're doing the podcast at a different time. Apparently morning <laughs> is the only time we're at all succinct or clear. We've had too much coffee. Capable of springing thoughts together. But your review of Umbrella Academy was yes. very, very good. Oh, it thanks, does ben. suffer uh, massively. It was, a, it was a loose 10, not mm. a loose 15 as you, as you yes, thought. that's good. Um, thank God for that because if it had gone any longer, I would have lost interest. Yeah. Um, but I stayed up yesterday evening. Um, yesterday, no, Friday, Friday, Friday evening and I watched a lot of the bloody Umbrella Academy. And you know what, Ben? Um, Anytime a show does a whole episode which then doesn't happen, fuck them. Yeah, I, I, oh, why did they do that? I enjoyed the tones. I enjoyed the strange dance scene mm-hmm. between Space Boy and Rumor. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed all of that. I enjoyed that Mom was going to be the one to tell Diego. I thought in many ways, in many ways, the, the pre-time jump episode. Yeah. Was better because 
tonally speaking with different characters for example mom was going to reveal the secret of Hargreaves yeah. to Diego mm-hmm. which made sense because he has such a close relationship with the mom bot yeah. um, and we were going to find out all these all these different things yeah, much but better. then we just you had the just interesting Chacha Hazel storyline yeah. was going to wrap up in an interesting way and then that happened anyway and then that happened yeah, they, they, you see this is the thing other things happen completely differently and then other other things happened exactly the same way well, they would have happened yeah the things that which happened without Five's interference happened exactly the way they would have happened and the, uh, look it was stupid. it was an unnecessary yeah, section no, of the no, episode my, my could, least favourite episode we could have had a tight eight um, we could have had a tight eight without that interference anyway Doom Patrol I'm not done with oh, you're not oh, done right. that's fine go on Doom Patrol Doom Patrol <laughs> Doom Patrol um, good Yes, possibly better than the Umbrella Academy. I, so far, I'm thoroughly enjoying it, Ben. It is very much like a mix between... This is what I'm doing today. Everything's just a mix between other things. Yes. It's a mix between the Umbrella Academy. Have I already said this? Yes. It's a mix between yeah, the Umbrella been. Academy and the TV show Legion. No, you didn't, you didn't get the Legion it, part yet. But. It has some of the surrealism of a Legion. It, it makes more sense... It, it, Alan Tudyk's character, Mr. Nobody, is mm-hmm. almost like what Legion would be if he was the main villain of Legion. Yeah, you could say that. It's That's it's true. almost yeah. like they've taken Dan... What's his name? Harmon. No, Dan Harmon. Stevens. No, Dan Stevens. There we go. Uh, they've taken Dan Stevens' character and made him the baddie. In a lot of ways. Uh, in a lot of ways. His origin, Ben, I am, Ben, do you want to tell us first what, what even is the Doom Patrol? Are we going to do what even is Doom Patrol now? Are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. We'll talk about the two in, in tandem. Okay, let me just flick my page back there because I got, I got ben, notes. What, what even is the Doom Patrol? Big old box of notes. Uh, so the Doom Patrol is one of those quite early comics. Mm-hmm. And I think the interesting thing about the Doom Patrol is if you turn to any DC Comics fan, they're a DC property, first of all. Right. Um, if you turn to any DC Comics fan and say, what's the Doom Patrol? Mm-hmm. They can tell you it's a superhero team. Yeah. If you ask who is the Doom Patrol or who is in the Doom Patrol, mm-hmm. they'll go, uh... There's a robot. <laughs> There's a robot. Um, um, I think the Invisible Man is in there. Yeah, and it, it gets very confusing after that point. So, uh, it, the comic itself started in 1963. Um, in like a week before X-Men. Uh, no, a, a little bit more than oh, X-Men. It? it was about two months, three okay. months, three months before X-Men. Um, and it was in a comic called uh, My Greatest Adventure. Mm-hmm. And they were, this was when we were trying out lots of different things. So the important thing to remember here is this is when comics were not just superhero based or predominantly superhero based. You had your sci-fi anthologies, your horror anthologies, you had romance comics, adventure mm-hmm. comics. There was basically a niche of comic for every type of young man who read them. And mm-hmm. I say young man not to be not inclusive to young women, but that was the target demographic. They were pitched towards young flis. Yeah. Um, Brie Larson wouldn't like it. Brie Larson wouldn't like it. She would require an underrepresented minority, which I feel is like an offensive type. Anyway, it's almost um, an offensive word. It's almost it? an offensive word. It seems very belittling mm. of <laughs> whoever it is that does it. Look, anyway. Um, anyway Anyway, um, oh god, we're definitely going to lose followers on this. <laughs> Sorry, lads. Um, go on, go on, go on. But anyway, uh, my greatest adventure was the name of this one, and it was adventure comics, and the superhero genre was just being tested properly. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, a man called Arnold Drake um, was hired to kind of give it a whirl with a strange group, a super team, and see how they did. He got a friend of his, Bob Haney, to help him out in the story. So the two creators of of Doom Patrol are Bob Haney and Arnold Drake. Um, He came up with the Doom Patrol, Mm -hmm. um, which is an obscure reference to a 1938 film called The Dawn Patrol. Oh, that's um, not obscure, though. About a series of flying aces uh, who took on suicide missions Mm -hmm. quite a bit. And the Doom Patrol... Um, it's very, very similar in a superhero sense. Uh, their famous kind of tagline is the world's strangest heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's it's really interesting. Uh, they're led by a, a chap in a wheelchair. Yep. Called as, Dr. Niles Calder. As every superhero team in the 60s was. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, they have uh, Robot Man, mm-hmm. who is the most consistent member of the Tomb Patrol through all iterations. He's a human brain, Cliff Steele, in yeah. a robot body. He's Brendan Fraser. He's Brendan Fraser in the film adaptation, or in the TV adaptation. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Then we have Rita Farr, or Elastigirl, mm-hmm. um, who's basically the incredible 50-foot woman from yeah. from anything ever. Um, she has probably gone through the most interesting change with regards to the TV series. Because she's more of a blob. She's more of a blob. She's like, which but is again a B-movie reference. They might be heading towards her getting control of yeah, her powers. Yeah, she's going to get control of her powers eventually. She'll be a big... And a uh, very attractive lady. She's a very attractive April lady. Bowlby. Very attractive lady. Um, and then the other people in the original she lineup... Was, um, she was the ditzy wife in Two and a Half Men. Oh my god. Yeah, that's who she is. She's candy. Yeah. Oh. That's good, isn't it? Mind blown. blown. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, keep going. No, I need to take a break. <laughs> that's <laughs> insane. A pause. Um, that's insane. Um, then we have Larry Trainer. You'll probably stick her in the thumbnail. Who is? Oh, she's the, going. She's going in the, the thumbnail. Her the and Crazy page. Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, ben had a, a very belated formative experience uh, this week watching nice. the Doom Patrol. Yeah. Um, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, the negative man is then Larry Trainer. He was Sometimes. a pilot. Yeah, or we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in a second. Right, calm down. Um, but basically, he um, in the original iteration, in this 1963 iteration, his powers are radioactive. Um, he's a radioactive man. He's got mm-hmm. radiation powers. Um, and they allow him to kind of manifest a, a negative astral form, mm-hmm. if you want to look at it that way. Um, and then over the years, they added more people. But that, that was always the core group. It was Rita the Chief, Robot Man, and Negative Man. Mm-hmm. And then more people came in as they went along. They were so successful that by they were introduced in issue 80 of uh, My Greatest Adventure. And by issue 86 of My Greatest Adventure in 1963, they renamed the comic to Doom Patrol. Mm. So that's how successful this original run was. But it also means there's no Doom Patrol issue 1. No, there is no Doom Patrol issue 1. There's only My Greatest Adventure uh, issue 80 mm-hmm. um, featuring the Doom Patrol, um, which is very interesting. After that, yes, Ben. Um, they lasted until issue one hundred and twenty-one, mm. where, in kind of a comic first, they were all killed. Oh, uh, unsurreptitiously. Mm. Um, and do you mean unceremoniously? Unceremoniously is exactly what I meant. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, thank you very much. That's exactly what I meant. Um, they were all they were all bloody bloody fridged. Yeah. Um, but it's okay because it's comics and they came back. So it's mm. grand. Um, but that was the original run. Um, very popular. Again. They really lived up to this tagline of the world's strangest heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had some very strange... They had an immortal kind of World War One Nazi called General Immortus. Yeah. And he was a decrepit old man who was immortal. Real and he, son of a bitch. He, real son of a bitch. They had a brain in a jar called The, the Brain. brain yeah. uh, and they fought a thing... Who was in love later with a gorilla called Mr. Mala, A hyper-intelligent gorilla called Mr. Mala, um, Which is a good LGBTQ... In a way. It was retconned as we went along. Although, yeah, I don't know if there's complicated representation there. Um, they also had, who's by and far my favourite villain of all time now, Animal Vegetable Mineral Man. Yeah, he's Who good, could transform he? any part of his body into, you guessed it, an animal, a vegetable, or a mineral. Um, so they'd go up against him a bunch. Which he's kind of halfway between Amazo and the Absorbing Man. It's, it's incredible. It's just so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um 
Yeah, so they, they had all these bizarre kind of villains and they were the brotherhood of evil. Um, now, what makes this most fascinating is three months after they made their debut, there's only a bloody other team of misfits led by oh, a lad in a wheelchair. You have, yeah, you, you just went and Sorry, just babe. went and smashed around it. But um, the first moniker that the... The, the first tagline that the <laughs> X-Men <laughs> went <laughs> under... <laughs> This is going to take a while. Didn't, I'm, I'm He's moving, moving all his X-Men 90s X-Men figures onto the table, um, which is going to lead to a podcasting disaster at some no, point no, when I inevitably knock them over. But, but, um, then um, the X-Men came out. Yeah. And they're called the strangest... They, they told the kids outside they were gay. They're called, <laughs> they're called the strangest heroes of all. That oh. was their tagline when they originally came out. They were led... By a hyper-intelligent man in a wheelchair. Um, who might have been a bit shifty. Who might have been a bit shifty. Getting and shifty. And usually wore green. Uh, and usually wore green. Niles Calder generally wears orange. Um, but it's... It, I don't think that has anything to do with it. But very similar. Um, their villains are called the Brotherhood of Mutants. Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Sometimes. There's... Uh, so there's... there's you know, A lot of similarities. And there. Arnold Arnold Drake maintains that... And I believe he was very diplomatic when he used to say this. Um, that Stan Lee was heavily inspired by mm. the Doom Patrol. Well, it wouldn't be like Stan Lee to be heavily inspired by something and then denied. No, it wouldn't. He, he would never do that. No, he would all the time. <laughs> yeah, he does it all the time. Uh, did it all the time. He's Sorry, did it all the time. Rest in peace, Stan. He, uh, rest, well, you know... <laughs> Fuck that guy. Give him some that yeah, yeah, I'm I'm far enough <laughs> to be right. there. Um that's gonna lose a few viewers as well. That's that's okay. Um so yeah, um very interesting team originally, but I suppose what they're they're most famous for um is is Grant Morrison. We Granty Morrison. We Granty Morrison. Um Or as we call him on the podcast, Granty M. Granty M. <laughs> big big B G Morrison or Granty M. Yeah. Um but anyway, uh, Probably most famous for him. So I'll just go through a little bit more um, of what they got up to. Ben, I'm going to let you finish. Right? Go on. I'm going to let you finish. Go go right but ahead. There is a much forgotten writer between those two. I can't even remember his name. Is it Paul Copperberg? Copperberg, yeah. Copperberg. That's him, yeah. He invented cider. Um, <laughs> and the comics he wrote weren't very good, Ben. They weren't very good. They were very um, generic and bad. They were. And B-list storylines. They really were, Ben. With and D-list heroes. <laughs> very much so. And I have read quite a lot of them oh, for some God, reason. Oh, God, forgive you. Um, and one of the best things about them is that in the very final issue of his run, the Doom Patrol, who are a bunch of nobodies at this stage, yeah. I think uh, Robot Man is the only one who's worth Consistent, anything. yeah. Well, there's a negative woman. Then we have Celsius, negative yeah, woman. It's a lot of shite. Um, but anyway... Um, they're all kind of killed off or put in comas and stuff. Yes. But they're defeated by a team of like Amazon leather clad dominatrix henchwomen. That's what I require from all my B-lists. Like, uh, like a John Claremont or Chris Claremont John Byrne wet dream. Wet dream. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a smorgasbord of fetishes. Very, very strange. But it was funny because it made me think of Stormwatch and how Stormwatch oh. was taken over by Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis. Who's the kind of 90s Grant Morrison. Yeah. Uh, and he took a generic superhero team and made them into something more fun and original, the authority. Yeah. And it, it, this had happened 10 years previously. I think this is a recurring thing. When when you have... A team of generic heroes. A team of generic heroes and you can't do anything with them because American comic book writers don't really know what to do with old teams. You you get in your oddball Brits. Bring and you sort <laughs> of British wizard. Get, get the Brit lads in and, and you know, tech, get your technomancers, your chaos magicians, yeah. your... Your bloody casual Norfolk magic users, and exactly. you, you get them to rehaul and, and retcon some stuff. So, since we're jumping straight into the oddness, uh, I suppose Paul Copperberg, who you mentioned, 
his probably his greatest achievement for the Doom Patrol is that he did writing the Doom Patrol to focus on cider. But I, yes, he did. Yes, yes. Sadly, Paul <laughs> Copperberg's liver may rest in pieces. Um, but he, I suppose, his kind of endearing legacy to the Doom Patrol is that he didn't give up on them. Uh, despite never really doing them any favors, mm. so he got that he he revived them in 1977, mm-hmm. and they went through another rough old time of it. Just he just couldn't write the they man. Were generic superheroes. Basically. Yeah, the man wasn't a great writer. He didn't understand, and I suppose that tagline, which I'm going to keep coming back to, uh, "World's Strangest Heroes," mm-hmm. was left by the wayside, and they became more and more generic as they World's went along. Genericest heroes. Uh, world's most genericest heroes. Your 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 casual. Lucky dip mm-hmm. of superheroes with various Someone's powers. Someone's got a magnet. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Someone's able to shoot a laser. Someone's got a real strong brain. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, under him, we got introduced to Mento, who's a terrible knockoff character, sometimes married to Rita Farr, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Um, we got bloody Beast Boy, who became the breakout star of the Doom Patrol overall. Mm. Uh, good old Beast Boy. But he repeatedly tried to do this. Uh, again and again and again and repeatedly got cancelled again and again Fair and again though, he stuck with it he just wouldn't let it go he just wouldn't let it go so he tries again in 1987 yeah he's allowed to write them until issue 18 mm-hmm. uh, in this new reboot and then enter Granty Morrison eh? we Granty M we Granty M and Grant Morrison in, if for anybody who doesn't know is a bloody oddball he's, and a, I, he's a wizard I can say that now because I had to watch interviews featuring Mr. Grant Morrison Granty M all week Sweet Jesus, Michael! Once upon a time on the on the, the podcast, yes. you said mm-hmm. that he must be playing a character. I think he is. I think he's fictional, and I could not agree with you more. I think he's doing a thing. That man, because he he also it's interesting. There's a very good documentary up on YouTube called Talking with Gods. Right. He wrote a he wrote a book, um, kind of deconstructing superheroes mm-hmm. called Super Gods, and then a small offbeat TV channel made a documentary about him with other creators and stuff like that very low production value very good in terms of content and check it out talking with gods like yeah like our podcast i I, I don't know (laughs) don't know about that you put a lot of effort to our production quality michael don't tell yourself too short the content's shocking so um yeah he did this and he must be playing a character because he'll he'll assassinate other people's stories he'll poke holes in other people's stories about him Mm -hmm. um no problem like, one guy tried to be like, and I swear to God, the door closed behind him without him touching it. And they cuts to Grant Morris and be like, no, he's making that up. I didn't do that. No, I just closed the door behind me. <laughs> and um, so he's a very down-to-earth guy who just seems to enjoy spinning long, weird tales. So Grant Morrison, for anyone who doesn't... We've spoken about him on the podcast we before. Have. We did a whole episode, didn't we? But he... I don't think we did a whole episode. No, I think he's, he's got little features here and there. But anyway, he made it big um, when he got to do Vertigo's Animal Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, reprint and he made it very meta and me- very self-referential and I think a lot of what Grant Morrison does these days is very bi- biographical biographical he had um, what I didn't know about Grant Morrison was he had kind of a a real break from his original personality after he made Arkham Asylum he became very very rich by 80s standards after the 80s were the richest decade baby. after um, after Arkham Asylum because he got a dollar worth of every copy of Arkham Asylum sold. Oh, very good. And Vertigo sold over 120,000 copies 
on the first day because they came out around the same time as Tim Burton's Batman. Mm. So they were both dark in tone and very different and he made 120,000 in a day. Very good. Um, and Sort of so what he decided to do then was he took a break from comics and travelled the world and, and did drugs mad. with yeah. strange people. Um, so he kind of had this interesting thing and he's always kind of written himself into a lot of his work. Yeah. becomes very self-referential and Doom Patrol is no different. Um, it's bloody odd ben, what he does with Doom Patrol. It's odd but looking back on it from a perspective of knowing Grant Morrison's work it's almost like an imitation of Grant Morrison but it would have been the originator I know because he he went on to do everything so everything else is an imitation of Doom Patrol but that's the interesting thing because now it's like it's full of stuff that if you wanted to make up a Grant Morrison character you would have the characters say like Oh, the shelve beings are entering through the weeping crack dimension. Well, I can explain how this works now because I had to find out how he did it. And he actually explains how he does it. So, first of all, before anybody goes any further, Mm -hmm. Grant Morrison considers himself to be a chaos magician. He does, yeah. And I did an impression for your good lady friend downstairs in the kitchen. Well, let's have it again then. Once upon a time, mm-hmm. while writing The Invisibles, in the letters page of The Invisibles, because you used to be able to write into your comic book creators. We don't do that anymore because oh, you just get a stream of abuse. A lot of comics the Hulk have. does it. Yeah. Oh, do they still have it? Yeah, okay. A lot of still have well, it. he explained to his readership mm-hmm. how to do a thing he calls sigil magic, mm-hmm. which he regards as a very basic uh, how to in magic. Mm-hmm. So, what you do is, right, you take, you, you, you write down your statement to the universe. So, you right. take your ideas and you put them down on paper. So, for example, I want to direct a Hollywood film and you can write that down on a piece of paper and then what you do is you remove you remove the vowels from the statement and then you take all the consonants you have left behind and you start to jumble them around in different formats until you have kind of your own homemade glyph okay and then when you have your glyph you stare at it intently and you masturbate over it I wish I was joking Right, <laughs> so he came up. The, so this is one of the ways that he does these things. But he's also massively into Dadaism. He's massively into absurdism, surrealism, uh, deconstructionism, and these are all ideological movements. Um, and I think <laughs> Nick is masturbating over a sigil here in the tiny room. What does it say? Well, I hope you get it. I hope I hope you get that thing that you want to get. Yeah. Um, welcome Sorry, to going. the Michael and Benjamin's sexual health hour. Um, don't masturbate over sigils, kids. Um, but yeah, so basically, he really began to explore a lot of very academic uh, ways of deconstructing literature. Um, mm. These were made hugely popular in the 60s by various French critics. Um, you had deconstructionism, structuralism, uh, people like Michel Foucault, uh, Jacques Derrida. Is his name pronounced Foucault? Foucault, yeah. I've always pronounced it Foucault. <laughs> well, he would probably appreciate that yeah, yeah, yeah. because you're deconstructing language. Yeah. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. Uh, these kind of people were all people who looked at language and deconstructed it. And he has been very influenced by this, which makes a lot of sense because when these kind of ideologies come out, they're not very popular. And over time, they kind of gain traction and they're explained a bit more. And then they become very easy to access and use as you go along. So in the 80s, when um, when was on Grant Morrison was... When everyone was on cocaine, these ideas had now fermented for a good amount of time and they were more accessible to people. So he was really getting into this idea of tearing language apart from the ground up. So some of the ways he did this mm-hmm. for Doom Patrol mm-hmm. is he would take 
what he he would do <laughs> an exercise at the end of the day where he would take a full blank page and write down everything he was thinking. Right. Okay. Then it didn't matter if it, it was boring and inane, dull and whatever. And then he would take that page and add it to a collection and put it away for a minimum amount of three months. Right. He would come back to it three months later, mm-hmm. read the things and see if something made sense to him out of all the crazy shit that he wrote down. He was also experimenting with heavy forms of experimental poetry. He would uh, There was a poet called Paul Woodward and he has an experimental method of writing poetry where you remove certain keywords from different things that you write to make new ways of doing things. So all of this was being poured into a comic book. And this is why it's so fucking weird. I don't find it that weird. I don't find, like, I know a friend of the pod, Gareth, was saying that we're going to, in the end, decide that it's basically not as good as the Invisibles. I don't think the Invisibles is that good, Gareth. Um, Oh, (laughs) the end of a beautiful friendship. No, Um, no, Gareth, let's still be friends. But I, I don't know if the Invisibles has ever made my day. But I think that you could make up a lot of the Grant Morrison... The bloody table leg men Scissors are men. trying to support us by chasing us across the cross-textual referential dimensions of the mind. Yeah, that was issue five of <laughs> Doing Troll by Grant Morrison. With the table leg men. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, basically, he, he took this very seriously. He, he, first of all, believes that comics are not necessarily meant to be understood easily. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the first thing. He, well, the, he the follows characters a, in the comics often don't understand what's happened. Yeah, he, he follows a, a Kantian philosophy. And if anybody wants to know that is, Emmanuel Kant is the guy who started the Enlightenment. But he what believed that Kant. you had to... What a Kant. And you can actually say that and people would get what you meant and laugh if, quite heartily. Because he believed that in order to be educated, you have to work hard. So he would intentionally make his writing and his educational material difficult to understand. So people had to earn their education. Mm-hmm. So he was a real cant. Um, and and Grant Morrison kind of follows this this way of doing things. So you get some really odd literary references. You get some strange things. Um, but this was all the rage with Vertigo in the... 80s and early 90s, where a lot of those guys were coming over. Alan Moore, Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. were all found around this time. And Karen Berger, the woman who ran Vertigo at the time, was really into letting these intellectual British guys run old old characters. Weird shit. And I'd say Neil Gaiman, though, has a little... There's a little bit more plot with Neil Gaiman. A little more... Well, there's a lot of plot. In, there's a lot of plot in... You see... The Doom Patrol, Ben, the the late eighties, early nineties Doom Patrol, it's there's a lot. It's a lot easier to follow than a lot of Grant Morrison's later stuff. Yeah, Grant Morrison kind of loses the run of himself pretty, as he goes along. It's pretty straightforward. But he gets hailed as a god later on in in comics. Like people love Grant Morrison and they hail him as this amazing thing. And The Invisibles is held up as one of the greatest comics of all time. I think it's a self congratulating weird biopic thing where he makes himself into a cool meta referential fucking dude. Yeah, um, you, can and always, you can always see when Grant Morrison has inserted himself. Did you read? Well, he is the, the character King Mob from the Invisibles. He has fully acknowledged that. He said, "That's me. That's just me." Because he was doing drugs with weird people and going to fetish clubs and loving it. <laughs> um, and that's fine. I've nothing against that, but I don't necessarily care. <laughs> the bloody, the bloody, the main thing, the main thing that came from the eighties Doom Patrol for the TV show. All of it. Well, the character Crazy Jane. Crazy Jane is one of his creations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the romantic subplot that's developing between Crazy Jane and Cliff Steele mm-hmm. is all him. A lot of Crazy Jane's introduction 
is straight out of the comic. Yeah, no, know. it's directly the painting. The all painting, that, I yeah. ruined it. The Hangman's um, Beautiful Daughter. It's the, all word for word from the from the comics. The opening of issue 18, uh, or the arc that starts off issue 18 with Grant Morrison is called From the Wreckage. Yes. Um, and when Paul Kupperberg relaunched it, it turns out that Niles Calder had a wife called Celsius who could mm. control temperatures and that nobody knew about up until yeah. this new reboot. So Grant Morrison did this amazing thing where he came along and he's like, oh, yeah, I'll write it for you, no problem. And he just killed everybody he didn't want to to write or had Coverberg killed him yeah or had Coverberg killed him he's like yeah I'll do that one but I won't do that one um, so he, he just wiped the team clean again and started from a fresh slate in a mental asylum um, he liked mental asylums but at stage Arkham Asylum he, um, Doom Patrol he also introduced in that run Ben the Mr. Nobody Miss yeah so uh, let, let's let's come back to let's come back to all this right. Um most things that you see based on the Doom Patrol today will either go right back to the golden age where it was weird in its initial run you had mm-hmm. people like the Animal Vegetable Mineral Man or they'll go straight to the 1987 run with Grant Morrison the TV show seems to be borrowing heavily from the Grant Morrison run including a reference to Grant Morrison himself including a reference to Grant Morrison himself um, Crazy Jane is the first one who I have completely fallen in love with That's so um, yeah there's some there's some complicated things going on there. Yeah. Um, I think she's an exceptionally attractive young lady. Um, older yeah, than you. Good for her. Older than me, which is even better. I'm I'm all for that. Yeah. Love an older woman, me. Yeah, you like that. Um, I'm I'm very into that. Um, so if the actress who plays Crazy Jane would like to get in touch with the podcast, <laughs> um, yeah, just let me know. Yeah, I'm around. Um, and yeah, so he's doing that. Um, he introduced a lot of weird characters over the years. Um, Danny the Roadway was a character. It was a sentient road. Um. Danny the Street. He Danny the Street. Sorry, Danny the Street. Um, thank you, Danny the Street. Danny the Roadway. <laughs> Danny the Roadway sounds great. <laughs> Danny the Roadway. He changed a lot of things. For example, um, Negative Man mm-hmm. from that point on is not radioactive. Um, he is inhabited or merged with by a cosmic being and called the Negative woman. Force and a black woman in uh, Crawling from the Wreckage. Mm-hmm. He is. He has separated himself from the Negative Force or the Negative Being. Mm-hmm. Um, and the negative being comes to find him and wants to re-merge. But when he does it, he goes into the room and he finds the good lady doctor, who happens to be African-American at the time, and he merges them together. And they come. Which means she happens to be African-American at the time. Um, <laughs> People don't just change, because it, Because it wasn't an important plot point to have someone of colour in the thing. It wasn't a quota at the time. Oh, right. That's nice. It, I think it was. What though, I meant. Because he keeps saying, we, we are male and female, black and white. Yeah, so... Uh, I, I think the the great caricature of this now is that she, it's called he becomes the trans everything superhero yeah um, and he kind of just moves past the space even though when it's drawn it's just a male body with boobs yeah um, do you see the part there's a, there's a section in the comic where um, Larry Larry Train no I don't I don't Larry know Trainer. yeah Reba that's what they refer to themselves as when they're combined Rebus. Uh, so it's their Rebus sorry um, Rebus is what they refer to themselves as and, ah, um, Reba and Danny the Roadway <laughs> two of your most popular Doom Patrol characters are you doing a Granty M thing here where you're I Reba and Danny the Roadway you know yourself you're, you're kind of um, creating a slightly alternate universe <laughs> version of the Doom Patrol so when they combine, there's a fantastic panel where Niles Calder comes in to ask him to be part of the Doom Patrol. And Rebus is just checking out her... It's... Yeah. It, there? there Zizzer? Zers? I think it's there, because there are three people. <laughs> in the interest of being as as multicultural and, and accepting, Zizzes. Yeah. Um, Boobies. 
boobies which are small and humble no, so you don't confuse them with mountain no they're quite, ample quite ample she has ample breasts but anyway most importantly the main villain of the TV show Mr. Nobody yeah. um, is a famous reintroduction of a very very Z-list villain from the original run funnily enough Ben I this is a little personal anecdote now for mm, you go ahead I read the 60s version and the 80s version kind of out of sequence ooh and hilariously, this 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 has stuck in my mind for many years. Hilariously, the the episode, the issue which introduces the Negative Man. Yes, the Negative Man was one of the was one of the original sixties Doom Patrol Z list villains, and he was their first villain in their own comic book. The Negative Man. Yeah, I didn't. But know he that. wasn't the Negative Man. He was an inventor who made a giant red robot. Rog. No. This is not Rog. Zog? Oh, for God's Rog? sake. Rog? Rog, yeah, Rog. <laughs> Niles Calder made that to explore the moon. Yeah, oh, look, now you're getting me back. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> funnily enough, Ben, I read those two comics one after the other. Oh. And it was quite odd. That's confusing. It was very Grant Morrison. Yeah, very Grant Morrison. Yeah, very Grant TM. I felt, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very metatextual. It was mm, odd. Uh, I, weird. I was worried that the bloody... The, hold on, I have to think of something obscure. The jock, the jock pant people from the brain dimension didn't come through the tear in the fabric of underpants to, they tried. to probe me. <laughs> they anyway. tried, but Cliff Steele was there. Yeah, this is safe. Um, but yeah, I read them one after the other, which was really weird because yeah. it's it like Granty M was in my head going, I, uh, yeah, I, I hate you way. do that. <laughs> I told you to do that, you old bastard. I masturbated over Sigil and said, Michael <laughs> reading a weird sequence. Yeah, exactly. And here we are. Um, so yeah, he's he then reintroduced uh, Eric Morden as... So Eric Morden was a Z-list villain who was part of the Brotherhood of Evil. Um, in the original run, he stole Raj, the moon-exploring robot, uh, and caused havoc with it. Uh, he failed, and the Brotherhood of Evil, which was being led by the Brain and Mr. Mala at the time, um, hate him so much that he went and lived in Paraguay for a while. If you look at the first episode uh. of the Doom Troll, you can see it's set in Paraguay at some point. Uh, and then Eric Morden goes and finds a bloody Nazi scientist and wants to be more than just a human um, and the Nazi scientist experiments, experiments on him and makes him become um, Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody is very interesting and there seems to be a... There's either a very big jump um, between the powers that he has in the comics and the powers that he has in the TV show or people are not aware of his powers and we're all being fooled by the TV show. In the comic books, Mr. Nobody has an ability to drain the sanity from a situation, a victim or a situation. Mm-hmm. Um and that leads to all kinds of shenanigans. Ben, he seems to have some kind of power shaping or reality shaping power in the TV series. That or the donkey does. That or the donkey does. We haven't figured that out yet. There is a very interesting panel in the creation. First of all, the creation of Mr. Nobody in the comics is much grimmer and more existentially terrifying. But is it? Yes. Uh, he he gets paralyzed from the neck down and left in a white room for until he goes mad and he thinks he's there for eons, but he's only there for three days. And oh, I don't like that. It's actually pretty good. But anyway, when he's created, the narrator says this, Ben. I actually took a picture of it to show you. Mm. Um, because it just goes to show the influ- influence that Grant E.M. had on the likes of Warren Ellis. Uh, he said, uh, in that moment, in that catastrophic final instant, all that I was, had been, would be, the whole infinity of my being was erased. I had become the spirit of the 21st century. Ah. The abstract man. Bloody Warren Ellis nicked it. Isn't that interesting? Mm, that is interesting. Um, 
So it's interesting to see Alan Tudyk take this on. I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. What's more interesting is it seems to have taken... So Mr. Jared Way took over in 2012. Of the Umbrella Academy. Of the Umbrella Academy, which we were talking about a few moments ago. Uh, he's a huge fan. A very sycophantic play... Uh, a very sycophantic fanboy of Grant Morrison. They're good really? friends now. But um, I watched an interview between him and Grant Morrison. He was the interviewer. And he just... My God, that man licks Grant Morrison's ass. Who, and not in a fetish way. Jared Way. Jerry W. Jared Way. The creator of the the Umbrella Academy, he's he's very happy to just wax uh, poetic about the influence that Grant uh, Morrison has had on him DM. and how much he loves him. It's very very strong, but it, that doesn't really matter. He took over uh, on DC's Young Animal imprint, mm-hmm. and he was given uh, twelve issues of Doom Patrol. Sadly, it doesn't keep running now, but it was very humorous compared to. Grant Morrison's run, very humorous. So they seem to have taken that element, the humor, and slapped it into the Doom Patrol with uh, Grant Morrison. So we've got a fusion series on our hands. Mm. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of it personally, Michael. I, I quite enjoyed it. It was very funny. Benjamin, let's wrap it up here then by yeah. recommending for the people what they should see or look at or read or watch if they want to learn more about the Doom Patrol. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So if you want to learn more about the Doom Patrol, head straight back to that first ever arc, uh, Crawling from the Wreckage. It's very, That's very... That's not the first ever arc, ben. No, no, the first ever Grant Morrison arc. Sorry, my mistake. My mistake. Yeah, good. Um, Danny the Roadway. Check that out. Danny the Roadway's antics um, in Granty M Town. Um, so check that out. Um, by all means, it is the quintessential Doom Patrol. By all means, go out and have a look at the early uh, Doom Patrol just to get an idea of from from 1963. Just to get an idea of how much of a prototype for the X-Men they were and how much Stan Lee stole. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing to have a look at. Um, it's interesting to get a look at some of their older villains uh, and stuff like that that were reinvented later on in Grand mm-hmm. Morrison runs and things like that. And check out the fairly solid series on DC Universe. Although it's only two episodes so streaming. far. Two episodes but, so far, but it's a good one. Also, we haven't even mentioned this, but best depiction of Cyborg... We've ever seen. Ever. Ever. Like, much better than Justice League. Ever. Yeah, you uh, you better move, whatever the hell he says. Yeah, no, he's just an interesting character. He's in this much one. better. Um, we should also mention that if you're into the Doom Patrol and want to do anything else, uh, an old Black Hammer, an old Umbrella Academy, they're all derivatives. The Invisibles. The Invisibles. Um, there's Filth. There's a lot of things. Anything Grant Morrison's ever written, Grant I M. suppose. Grant he did a whole Batman run that was very similar. Um, so yeah just, just check it out if that's what you're into if that's yeah. if that's what ticks your motor Transmetropolitan is like a future version of that by Warren Ellis check it out check it out um, I think in a future episode we might do a comparison between the, the kind of British invasion not of Ireland of um, <laughs> of comic books and we might look at how different people approach these no, kind of the meta texts of <laughs> 800 years <laughs> anyway if you or anyone you know is a big fan of the Doom Patrol let us know down below have you been watching the show uh, let us know what you think uh, we're all very interested very invested here over here at the Michael and Benjamin's podcast yeah. um, we are as always on Spotify we're on iTunes mm-hmm. we're on Instagram we're on SoundCloud hit us up on any of those if if you're a redditor, we're on there as well. Leave us a review. Um, we will be at the Dublin Comic Con yes, in two weeks. Two weeks uh, yeah. on the eighth of March. Uh, we'll be doing interviews. So if you feel like popping along and doing an interview with us and seeing our shiny new business cards, <laughs> um, 
please let us know. Um, we're looking for cosplayers. We're looking for creators. We're looking for anybody who's interested in comics. Really, you we'd love what, to do ben, an interview. We'd probably with you. interview some people who are just at a comic con. Yeah, we're going to try and grab a Grant TM interview. He's not there, but we might be able to commune with him through a sigil. So Michael and I are off to uh, write down a sentence, uh, turn it into consonants, and and have a good old tug to, session. Do we have to wank over each other's sentences? No, we're going to do it in separate rooms, Michael. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. It's grand. Oh, much more comfortable now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, See you after the talk session, guys. Bye. Bye.